Hi, I'm Frances Katzen and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. excited to welcome my guest today, Kirsten Jordan, the first woman member of Million Dollar Listing New York, an amazing mom, a fellow colleague at Douglas Salomon, and a great person. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Well, I have a really interesting story because I was born in the Midwest. I was born in Minnesota in St. Paul. Wow. I lived in the middle of nowhere for the first 10 years of my life wow. in the sticks of St. Paul, like outside of St. Paul. And and then my parents got divorced and I we moved to Westchester, New York. My dad stayed behind and I went to see him during the summers and on vacations. And my mom moved us out to Westchester, New York with um, her new husband. And so we... We're like a blended family. It was really crazy. There were five of us. Um, I have a stepsister, a half-sister, uh, three biological, full biological siblings. So there's five of us. I'm the oldest of five. And it was it was crazy. It was a wild, wild lot. So that was 10. I was 10. And then until I was 18, I was in Westchester. And then I was all over. I went to school in Wisconsin. Then I lived in Italy for two years after living in Chicago for a year. And then came back here and started being a broker. Can we just go back for a second? What is it like coming from the Midwest going to Connecticut? Well, what's Rye is on the border of Connecticut, oh, sorry, so yes, Rye. yeah, That's Rye. So it's it's the same thing. You're basically on the border of Greenwich, and oh, it's totally different. I mean, first of all, coming from the Midwest, you're just so nice, and you're so naive and so you know there's you you are never sarcastic and snarky and that isn't necessarily everything that Westchester is but Westchester is so close to New York City that my mom would always just be like oh it's because we're so close to New York City <laughs> so there was always a little bit more edge and cynicism in the responses ooh yeah big shift big shift where in the city do you live now I live on 103rd and Riverside Drive, so I am way up there, borderline suburbia. We had a moment where we thought when we were having our third child that we should leave the city, and instead of doing that, we decided to go to the edge, is what we call it. I love it up there. Yeah. I think it's this bucolic suburbia in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's kept you here? Is it the brokerage that's kept you here? Meaning, what do you love about it? What's held you here? Well, the brokerage has definitely kept me here because whenever I try to leave brokerage, it like rears its ugly head and like pulls me back in because I think the longer you've been in this industry, the more the experience you have builds on itself and the referrals and the network gets deeper and you reap the fruits of your labor in a much more fruitful way. And so I had moments where I was, I thought it wasn't the right thing for me. And I'm so thankful that I held on for dear life during those years of um, being pregnant in between pregnancies, pregnant again in between pregnancies, and pregnant again. <laughs> I've been there. It's brutal. <laughs> those swollen ankles as you walk up yeah. those stairs, bumping into people with your tummy. It's the mm-hmm. best. It finally feels we've made it through this pandemic. I think that's fair to yeah. say. Um, and the city is starting to roll back. What are you most looking forward to about this reopening for you? For me, it's 
clearly events are going to be really exciting. I think for our industry, it's really nice to get together, not only with colleagues, but be able to really see clients in person in a larger setting where you don't just have to schedule one meeting at a time. And then I'm also looking forward to the actual real gatherings like the seminars and actually being with a ton of people in one place, like a stadium seating and being able to enjoy that energy again. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite part about your home and what makes it special? Well, as a New York broker, for me, what's what is New York is pre-war architecture. I love the fact that we have the access to that that we do. And so the apartment that we chose has high ceilings. It has views. It's it's really, you know, those pre-war space spaces and details that made me love it. I love pre-war because it's never going to be replicated. Exactly. There's a history to that, I think, and the quality of um, plaster versus exactly. sheetrock. You're a great broker, and you are now a cast member on Million Dollar Listing New York, and not least a mom of three gorgeous children. How are you doing it all? Everybody wants to know I, that, right? Well, that is the question. Everybody wants to know how I'm doing it all, and I think the question is, is I'm definitely not the one doing it all. I've definitely worked and figured out ways to outsource what's necessary, and it's such an evolving process of figuring out what really needs me and what doesn't need me and how to give everybody the right amount of attention and being as present as possible, which is really, I think, what we're all striving for is deciding where we need to be and making sure that when we're there, we're super present instead of everybody getting a a half-assed version of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I struggle between the two that I have and the work and also making sure I'm cooking and preparing Mm -hmm. and we outsource too, but it's... Yeah. It's not the same when you're no. not there as much, you know? Yeah, and parenting is something that can't be outsourced. So nope, it's really how much parenting is really necessary for kids to be okay and how many people can you bring into your life or how much family can you pull in, you know, <laughs> that's willing to be a little bit present. I mean, do you I've, have that? Do you I've have been family? fortunate that I have yeah, family great. that... Because my dad didn't get to be with us as much when we were growing up, he actually rents a place in New York City. And so he comes a couple of weeks out of the month and spends time with his grandchildren, which is wonderful because that's something Full that circle. You, my husband's Italian. We don't get that from his family. So it's been really. That's tough. Yeah. Because Italians are big into family. They are big into family. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, my family's overseas, so it's really mm-hmm. tough. Um you have been on a different team. You have been on different teams throughout your real estate career, but recently made some very big moves by changing firms, which we're really happy to have you at Douglas Elliman, mm-hmm. and starting your own team. Congratulations. What do you most like about running a team, and what are some of the challenges you have faced? Well, let's just say one of my superpowers is that I'm very naive. And I, one of the things that kept me from starting my own team for a very long time is I think what they call broken wing syndrome, which is this idea of saying like, you know, it's so much easier in this situation where I have somebody else who takes all the risk and I can just focus on my craft, right? And at some point for me, that was just taking too much of a cost. It was, you know, it's a costly thing to be on a team if you really have your own book of business. And at some point I had been you know, doing enough of my own business that it made sense to say it's time to like really look at yourself in the mirror and realize that you definitely can do this yourself. And what I learned from being on teams over the years was 
of course, how to refine my craft and how to see what it takes to be successful. And what I learned from my team leaders is that there is no replacement for hard work. There's no replacement for market knowledge. And there's no replacement for leaving no stone unturned and really servicing your clients. And I think that a lot of brokers who are on teams who aren't ready to take maybe take that next step are still looking at their team leaders not understanding how much they're really still working their butts off to be able to make sure that when 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 you get the leads and you get the the referrals that you've been spending the last decade or two decades to be able to get how important those really are and how you're going to be constantly refining revising and refining the systems to make sure that everything's taken from start to finish so i've had definitely a ton of surprises starting my own team and i in would what say way? i i think well first of all I think we all have very high standards for ourselves. I have a very high standard for myself. And I think that finding talent that reflects that is the hardest part. Very tough. And I have great people. It's just more that clearly I hold myself to a standard that's like 175% of reality or normalcy. And a lot of people joining teams are at, you know, that 75 to 90% of, you know, where they probably need to be to to, to excel. Do you another. find that the younger brokers coming in expect it to be like the show where yeah. they literally turn a key, make 6% and wear a fancy suit when really they have no idea the amount of um, ramp up it takes to get to that. And I think the idea that there's this instant gratification, um, you know, I think that good things take time. Yeah. And I think that we are seeing a shift in the understanding of work. And I think teams fall into that, which is what is your expectation of a team and what is your goal from the team? Yeah. Um, so I hear you on yeah, that. It's it's And finding people that are in cadence with your methodology, yeah. your way of dealing with people, your honesty, your integrity. Um, and it's not just about servicing themselves, but more about the team-centric nature of contribution, which gives a very different energy to the team. That sounds very out there, but I it's do true. think it changes it. Also, you know, setting up a team structure is something that varies team to team. And every team has their own way of distributing leads. And every team has its own way of um, making there be a structure of whether there's buyer's agents and selling agents that are separate or, you know, the idea of keeping it so lean that everybody's servicing everything. And then there's I've seen it sliced up so many different ways. And what's also so interesting, and I know that you've been in the business long enough to see this, that the business has changed so much that it went from being like, you could have a white hand, which is what I did for the first five years of my career, was being the right hand to a top agent who basically, there was no marketing director and operations person and the right. shower and the, right. I was everything mm -hmm. and that was expected and so I think when I started hiring for the first time I hired an assistant I expected that hybrid person to, to exist right. and the truth is is they don't exist anymore they can't do it they can't do it there's also so many more layers to the industry than there ever have been and yes. so we're running these mini companies and there's so much more manpower that it takes to do a deal that I think I, on a daily basis, I'm so frustrated because I say, like, 
how is it possible that it takes this many brokers to change the light bulb? You know, like in the sense that how is it possible that taking this many hands to, to touch a transaction yeah. when back in the day I could do everything from start to finish and this was no big deal? And I don't think it necessarily means that we're all being so inefficient, even though I think there's some inefficiencies that are in these new systems. I do think that there's also a level of saying, hey, in order to scale, we do need to break this into an assembly line and figure out who can stay in their lane and just focus on their craft so that we can scale the business. And I think there's a there's something to be said about how yeah. you can swing too far in one direction and swing too far in yeah. the other. And I think that some teams have swung too far in maybe the assembly line just, you know, direction. And then there are Got teams it. that you deal with that I think, you know, some of the top workers in the industry, they barely have any infrastructure. And doing a deal with them can be an absolute nightmare because Nobody's they don't organize. There's nobody but they're getting the deals done and they don't have to pay anybody out. And so it works for them. And their clients <laughs> don't think they're suffering because of the fact that they're, they're running mayhem. things differently. Yeah, right? got it. And we all know who those people are. And I think that's incredible. And I look at them and I admire them. They're also, I'm also, you know, on a TV show and I have all these other things going on. So for me, it's figuring out how to make sure I give the right attention to each piece of That those. must be very tough when you're shooting and also having to get on phone calls and give updates and negotiations. I, I would imagine that's a very exhausting juggle. Yeah, the first year, especially for me, was difficult because of the fact that I felt like I had to be so present um, in everything. And um, I, the best way to put it is that everything took a lot out of me. And I felt like when the cameras were on, I felt really like I had to make sure that I was at an, a level that's almost like that level where you're burning through cortisol at such a <laughs> rapid rate that it's like when it's over, you're so exhausted. And how do you, but listen, What's incredible is that before the show aired, I was able to like triple my my personal business, which was great. And I think it just came also from that energy of somebody Pleasing. saying, "Hey, you're you're like good enough to be on this show," and and that just gave me that confidence. That's amazing, and it really is a checkbox. That's fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about what it was like working for another team as an agent. Well. What was in unique about the first, the second team that I joined, because I feel like that was really a team. My first, um, my first job in real estate was really being a right hand. So I would say we weren't really, we were a team in the sense that we were two people, but it was somebody who was a rainmaker and really doing the business, and somebody who was servicing the business and maybe doing a couple of their own deals on the side when time permitted. And then my second team experience was really being on a team where you know you have um, major producers, real rainmakers. And um, really seeing what that takes and then this structure of having a team where that the, the rainmakers really are the focal point um, and that they're making it rain. And I think that that's really incredible to see, you know, and, and they have an incredible business. So, you know, uh, for me, it was just interesting. And I think that I grew a lot and did a ton of business. We did a ton of business together, and that was awesome. And we learned a lot from each other. I came in as the most senior agent as far as years in the business um, when I joined the team, and and that was when we were founding everything. So it was really neat to see everything grow and, and see what that looked like. So what was your driving force behind your move to back to Element? Well, I think... Let's just say because you started here right. at Element. I I started at Element, and I always loved Element. I was never anybody who had any complaints. I 
But I also don't generally have tons of complaints. I'm like, listen. <laughs> it's that Midwestern. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm Midwestern. And you know what? I control my own reality. It's really like, listen, you can find something to complain about about every company. And I never had that. I, I had good relationships. Yeah. I think I was also looked on as like kind of the child of the of that particular office in the sense that they all watched me grow up, you which, know. Which broker were you at with Element? I was with Sabrina Saltiel. Oh, at, she's amazing. And she's incredible. And we were, you know, we still have an incredible relationship to this day. She's a super special person. And it was like, I mean, I was 25 when I started with Gosh. her. And so they all saw me get engaged, get pregnant. And, you know, you end up with this community sure. of brokers. And so if anything, when I left, I realized that I didn't even appreciate enough how incredible that community was. And going to a more transient environment yep. at Compass, it was just not something that I was really ready for because I had valued the relationship so much. And, you know, Compass was growing so rapidly. And for me, that just wasn't my place. So, Got you know, and, and they're doing incredible things and it worked for them. And it does work for them, clearly, whatever's going on there. And and so, you know, the, the going out and saying, I've got to make a change and I've got to decide to take the leap. You know, Element is a place where I knew I was going to be supported. And I also knew there was familiarity. And as you know, with the years in the business, there is a very steep curve if you do change companies. And there, yeah, you know. it usually takes about six months to relaunch in a new firm. And I think Element, if I'm going to be an independent contractor, I kind of want to be with the 100-pound gorilla. Mm -hmm. So to me, Element has always been that that major force. Yeah. Um, and there's a deep bench of real talent. I think it's a phenomenal uh, company. And I think it's entrepreneurial, yet it still has a brand base that's 41% yeah. market share. And, and, and incredible PR, by the way, and incredible yeah. resources and, and real access to the... The actual heads who yeah, run the which, company, which I think which is, is really saying unique, a lot. Which is really unique. Very unique. I left the day Barbara Corcoran left. Um, I did not want to be owned by Sendance. So I, I love the fact that Element has held on to their mom yep. and pop, if you will, ownership. Um, what do you personally find most rewarding about brokerage? Um, I think the things that are the most rewarding about brokerage are pretty intermittent um, in the sense that I think, and and because we're all in such a state of addiction to it that we like, we like, <laughs> you know, we have the, just when you think you can't take it anymore, you have a really great moment where a client texts you or calls you and says like, thank you so much for doing that and you did an amazing job and I really loved working with you or even in the situation of the what's gone on with my career as of recent I've had some really amazing clients reach out and just say like I've been I'm so happy to see that you've you know Done to it. have seen you from the beginning and I and you really deserve it and we're really excited for you and so I think but I think with brokerage is um I think and you, and you probably feel the same way that it's a lot of you know, good, getting up every day and putting a smile on your face and enjoying the parts that you find enjoyable. For me, it's being with the people. It's getting out there on appointments. It's showing property and learning the market. The rest of it, you know, I think we're all trying to get to a point where we don't have to do as much of the rest of it, but there is always a lot of the rest of it. Yeah. And then I think we have these great fleeting moments that really reinforce that this is what we're really meant to be doing. For me, it's fun to be on the TV show because of the fact that I, I do feel like I was meant to perform in some way. So that's been really fun. And and then also kind of seeing how that all reinforces the way we do brokerage because I do feel like now when I when I am in situations I'm like if the camera was on me what would I say right now? That's a really smart way to actually turn it. 
We all need to think that way. We all need to think about everybody listening to our every word, which I kind of always have, but now I really think about that. <laughs> yes, it's quite voyeuristic. <laughs> um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned since being in the business? I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that you never know where your business is going to be coming from. And 100% I think we agree with think you. all think that we can be super strategic in our relationships and that we can but but the truth is is as the same in high school you should be nice to every freaking person in your high school class because you never know who's going to be super successful it's the same with all your leads and every lead needs to be treated like it's a 500 million dollar lead and that's that's the only way i think to really capitalize on the on your on all the referrals that come in i think that's brilliant i think that's spot on what new developments in the city are you most excited about well, I was plug, very plug. exactly. I was very <laughs> excited to see um, to see you at fifty three West Fifty Third Street. I'm really excited to see what you guys are doing there with the with the staging and all of the relaunching that you're doing. It's such a beautiful product and so well built. I, I mean, very very unique and special. And I was, you know, we we were there with uh, with some of those clients that I had in from from out of town, which was really amazing. And then of course I have a really great project that's on Twenty Third Street right now, where we are, you know. We are we're doing closings. It's completely finished. Very low monthlies. It's 139, 139 East Twenty Third Street, Gramercy North, and so that is that is where I have a major push right now. And those are affordable and affordable luxury. Very very love that great product starting at two point four million. And you know we're excited. We're excited to you know we, that we, I brought that with me to Element, and that's been something that we are just there. We're moving inventory there. Nice. Um, if you had to choose a townhouse or a penthouse, what would it be and why? I think for me, it would definitely be a penthouse. I love townhouses, but the not having to deal with the maintenance for me would be amazing. Yeah. And, and it is inspiring to have views. I have to say, I never really gave that enough credit when I was younger. And now that we have views, I do enjoy it in the morning. Sit, meditate, look out. It's beautiful. So what's your morning ritual? I have this famous crazy morning ritual where I do wake up very early and I and I get up and I meditate. And I spend at least 15 to 20 minutes meditating. I either do a Tony Robbins sequence that's called priming, which I'm really into. I don't do that every day because there's not as... There's not enough real meditation time in it, but it is great to set yourself up, especially if you're tired because it kind of pulls you out into a good energy state and it focuses on gratitude and then also focuses on goals for the day, which I think all of us recentering on gratitude is really important in the morning. And that's what I try to focus on just because it's the only way to kind of keep yourself in a good mood sometimes in this business. Yep. And then I do work out in the morning um, and try to do that super early as well so that by the time my kids are up and having breakfast, I'm, you know, done. up and around. Exactly done. Mm-hmm. And then I have a bunch of herbs and Chinese herbs and supplements and stuff I take in the morning. I, I, I drink tea. I don't drink coffee. And then it's basically like a race to get out the door. Got it. Um, do you find that you're – I find that – I do it and I'm really tired at the end of the month if I'm getting up at 5.30 to do my meditation, my journaling, my workout. I'm really tired. By 9 o'clock, my eyes are propped open with toothpicks. So I find that I ebb and flow in my ability to wake up and do it all. I find sometimes now I need to actually take a minute. Yeah. Not all the time. I agree with you. It's it's hard to maintain, I find, sometimes. Um, 
Million Dollar Listing New York has been a boys club for nearly Mm -hmm. a decade. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you ultimately got the role and the impact you think it has on women in the business? I'm very pro-women in case you haven't noticed. Well, the thing with casting is you never really know what's going on. And so I can tell you I have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. I I don't know any more now than I did then. Um, What I did do was I, you know, was very clear about the fact that I really wanted it and that I was willing to kind of just, I don't know how to put this, but that I, you know, I have the relationships in the industry, that I have overlap with all the cast members, and that I can talk the talk, I can walk the walk, and that I was really ready to go all in. And and then in addition to that, I think, you know, there's always a, a factor of the camera and how you are on camera. I've never really spent a ton of time on camera until now, but that was And that's something that I think you either have or you don't. And I was probably lucky with that in that, you know, I know how to bring the energy to the camera and the camera only likes energy. It doesn't like anything but that. And so uh, that worked out really well. So I'm assuming that's what it was. And then what's been great is that the boys have each welcomed me with their own way of welcoming me. And I have a good, I mean, great relationship with Ryan, and he's been super, super supportive and incredibly mentor-like in giving me advice about even during my process of the move and just kind of what to expect, even though Ryan doesn't actually remember life before Million Dollar Listing, and neither does Frederick. So it's, it's kind of hard to get advice from them, whereas Tyler actually remembers life before it. And, and he, Steve, too, I would imagine. Right. Steve, too. Tyler really loves it, though. And so he has more fun sitting and just really going deep with me on overanalyzing everything, which I have to say is like, I love that about Tyler. We can we can just go deep about all of it, which I don't think anybody else is really excited to listen to. <laughs> um, in the premiere, Ryan calls you a shark. It is probably surprising, as you know, as I've been referred to similar things kidding. But seriously, in this business, not kidding, um, sometimes you need to take the gloves off, and especially if you're a woman. Why is that, do you think? Well, I think as a woman, and there's so many books and studies about this, we can say the same thing a man says in a certain situation, and it's taken as super aggressive, and I think that's just how it is. I recently had a very aggressive interview I was referring to you (laughs) about, I was talking to you about before, and it was the same kind of But the question was posed to me in a much more aggressive manner that was kind of like, are you ashamed of the fact that they're calling you a shark? And I thought, I don't think you really understand the industry I'm in. Like nobody, developers wouldn't want to work with me if they felt like- You were guppy. Yeah. And if they felt like when things got close to closing, I just kind of like didn't really feel like being aggressive. And so I just let it go. (laughs) But- you know, this is a this is something that we're. I think you and I are still pushing the envelope on from a female perspective because even though this industry is filled with women, when it comes to this, even even just talking about developers or talking about these really big clients, in order to close those deals, I do think that some masculine energy or taking your feminine force and putting it forward in in an aggressive manner it just has to happen and and so you kind but of why have to is it, it a negative connotation i find I that so provocative if a man is outspoken isn't he great right. if a woman is outspoken god she's difficult yeah um i find that a real play on on what makes people comfortable and feel safe right. when they see 
someone say what they think, not necessarily what they want to hear. Yeah, and I think for both of us, the only way to really get to the top is to learn how to read the room and really know where you can be who you want. You know, and when to tone it down. When to and tone when it to down, tone it and I and I think yep. that's gets you very yep. very far as being a yes. woman. And know so I I read the room, and I and I don't go for it if I know I'm not in that place yet with my confidence where I'm just gonna go with it and be like I don't care what anybody thinks. Oh. I'm like you know what, this room's not ready for that, and and it would be better if I said it in this way, and then maybe I need to go to the other people separately one by one in my own special way and see if I can turn the neck instead of trying to turn the head. And, you know, I have a European husband and, you know, he's he's incredibly supportive and and, and and awesome, but I don't just necessarily hit him over the head with a baseball bat when I want something. You know, I figure out how to, you know, so hey, you've learned how I've to learned. adjust yourself. Yeah. Has he highlighted that to you? Um, that it, he, he's still, he, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he, lo- he loves it. Like when we moved in together, I was like, listen, this is great. Um, <laughs> but if you don't propose within a year, That's I'm just going to take my belongings and I'll leave. I'm not saying there's any pressure. I'm just saying <laughs> I just won't be here. And I'm not bringing any furniture, so I'll make it easy for you. And he still refers to that. And it was like, it was so smart. I'm like, yeah, because if I had been, if I had done it in that super aggressive way, somehow that wouldn't have been okay. But it's the same message. You know, you and I are very similar. I did very similar things. <laughs> it's like, listen, I just won't You're be here a serial anymore. monogamist, and I don't have time to muck about. So, you know, you have a year. Take your time. <laughs> no problem. But I may not be Exactly. Here. So going back to your process, you are quite uh, an accomplished athlete. You were the national champion for race walker in a different life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I don't think many people know that. Yeah, I didn't. it's a weird... It's a it's a totally a weird sport and it's a very big niche of a sport because it was so the way that it works with track and field is that every single event gets three there's there's three places right first first second and third and in track and field in high school every event was worth equal points so the long jumps worth the same amount of points the the shot puts the worth around the same amount of points. The race walk was also worth the same amount of points and was a sport that my that my late coach actually um, he he actually was very very good at coaching it, and so his daughter was very good at the race walk and she was a couple years ahead of me and so he was able to prime and teach both his daughters were good at the race walk and he was able to teach everybody how to teach women who weren't really good at anything else to be good at the race walk if they had the right the right form for it because it's a very form focused event you can get disqualified if you don't have the right form and so what happened was it was a similar thing with me where i wasn't really a good runner but for some reason my body worked really well for the race walk so when i got into the race walk it was a very beginner's luck moment because i basically came in and won i was in the second heat and that means that you're in the second group which is the slower group, but they put me in the second heat thinking I wasn't really that good, and I won my heat, which was for me a really big moment. And I think that in real estate, there's a big, there's a big thing to be said about getting some beginner's luck at the beginning of your career, and that and how that sets you up 
kind of like your first hit. You never, you're never going to maybe feel as excited about that ever again, but it's that beginner's luck. And so for me, that was the same thing. I had this beginner's luck of winning this first heat that I did and realized that I was going to be good enough if I trained. And then what was incredible about that was that I realized also that I wasn't going to be able to train as much as everybody else to be able to be good. I had to train twice as much. So what I would do is towards the end of the last couple of years when I was really competing at a high level, because again, my coach realized that he could get these women to be good at the race walk and then they would win because nobody else was doing it. And so we would win these points that were equal to somebody winning the mile, so which smart. was super big. And then it ended up being that we got to the state level. So I won. So then in high school, it, at junior year, I, I did, I think I got like sixth place at the states and 12th place at the nationals. Wow. And then my senior year, I won the states wow. the night before. And then I won the nationals the next day. And But that was because I double trained that, that year. Like I would literally come home from school. I would eat dinner after training at, at you know, I would train During in the, the afternoons day, after right. school, eat dinner, and then I would train again at night, which seems crazy, but it was what I knew I needed to do, and then I won. So you just, how does it yeah. work? You just literally walk? Yeah, you walk as fast as you can, and then you have to lock your knee every time your leg comes back. So if you look at race walkers, you'll see that they lock their knee yes. every time their leg comes back, and then you can never have two feet off the ground at the same time. Wow. And so, which is actually harder than it looks, because to keep your feet on the ground, you have to kind of keep this form. So I was, I had really good form. I was never disqualified. And it just was a... Do you still do it? I mean, I do it here and there, but I have to say, I mean, running is just so much more efficient in some ways. The race walking is something that you're doing because it's a, it's like the way that you do um, the triple jump. You don't, no one triple jumps for fun. It's like you do it because that's the, that's, that's the, the event. Requirement, right. Whereas that's the same with the race walk. Got it. Um, do you find that running's hard on your body? Yeah, these. running is definitely not Oof. what I should be doing. It's something oh. I do a couple days a week just to keep, because I love it, but eventually I'll have to phase it out. Okay, so now here's another paradigm of questions. If you weren't in real estate, what would you do for work, Kirsten? I have to say that if I wasn't in real estate, I would be a motivational speaker, and I would be like the, a female Tom Gabby. Ferry or Tony Tom. Robbins mm -hmm. or Gabby Byrne, whatever it is. I don't Got know it. if I'm spiritual enough for Gabby, but I could go there. I could try. But that's what I would love to do. So you're a big Tony Robbins fan. You I mean, go to their seminars. They're very good. I've been to one. Yeah, I did, did UPW. Did you walk the fire? I did. <laughs> I walked the fire. I did UPW. I'm signed up for Business Mastery whenever it reopens again. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan because it's, first of all, his stuff I've always found very accessible to listen to and very easy to turn on and off. And so I, I loved re reinforcing it during quarantine. It was really good for me. Like I felt like I, I literally steeped myself in that during quarantine. I feel like I came out in a really good place yeah. mentally. Yeah. Um, do you ask your team to subscribe to it? We do Tom Ferry right now um, because of the fact that they're so organized with team coaching mm -hmm. and I really like them. Um, specifically for me, starting a team for the first time, I wanted something that was going to be really specific to teams. Um, so we've been really, really enjoying that. Um, for now. So we'll see. They have a ton of resources that I haven't even tapped into. We've just been using it from an accountability perspective and to help us with high level and organization. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, when you're not working, what do you like to do? That's such a good question um, because I don't really know anymore. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> like, I feel like, especially coming from having my husband be European where people are well rounded, yeah. it's very hard for me because people are like, what's your hobby? I'm like, well, I guess exercise. And Pilates can't really be a hobby because it's like just like maintenance. Because they understand pleasure. They do. They do. They have mastered pleasure. They have. And and 
I swung to that end of things when my kids were very little in the sense that we would travel much more. Like I would go to Europe during, you know, during February break with the kids. And so I would say for me, I love cross-country skiing. I'm a big, big cross-country skiing fan. And for me, that worked really well. I'm good at rollerblading and skating. So for me, like all that was really works with me. And I love it because it's so much more efficient than downhill skiing. And where we are, we have a place in Switzerland that's right next to a big cross-country ski slope. So I, that's what I do when I'm there. And I feel like between that and running, I do enjoy the occasional running race just because of the fact that I love that. That's kind of where I, you know, the hiking. We love hiking. We do a lot of that. But then when I get over there, it's like part of it's like the fun part about this is we hike to the top and then we drink and we eat lunch and then we, <laughs> and we like all Honey, walk down. I'm with you. Your husband also works at Douglas Elliman. Uh, do you work together? So my husband's a real estate developer, and he has been in the business just like me in New York for the 13 years. We literally moved here at the same exact time in New York, New York City. He was working for a major developer in Chicago doing international sales for five years before it, and wow. then moved moved here and literally has been in business for himself since. Wow. So, you know, for me, having him have his license, having him be really a high-level consultant for the team has been really helpful. He's just aware of kind of always what's going on. We do have a couple of his projects. You know, it's really kind of being able to have him around when I need him because we've been working together on so many levels Mm -hmm. that it's just really helpful. I will, you know, he doesn't come to the office. He does very much all of his own other business. But I, I, I do find it great to have somebody around who does have a very deep knowledge of the marketplace and understands also the commercial space and and can really handle some of those larger buyers if for any reason I can't be there. Got it. So you don't feel like it's too much in the same forum all the time? Oh, it's definitely too much. It's not a good (laughs) idea. I wouldn't advise anybody to do this. But we are both in real estate, and so there's also this level of understanding that's like, if this is what it takes. Yeah, and, and there is no real separation because... It is so, you know, a lot of my clients know him because of me. And so it's very easy to say, hey, you know, you can talk to Stefano as well. He's very well versed. And sometimes people will come to me through Stefano in the sense that they call him first and want his (laughs) advice first. So we just Wow, that's the juggle. All right, here it is. What's your biggest vice? My biggest vice is... I mean, it really is wine, to be totally honest. In the end, I think all of <laughs> red, us— Red, white, Alsatian, mm, what are we dealing with I here? would say good, really good red in the winter and yeah. then really crisp, light yeah. white in the summer. But yeah. I think at this point, that's the vice. Everybody would be like—some people are like carbs. I'm like, no, I can give up pretty much anything. But being able to have <laughs> A you know, my measured yeah. amount of alcohol that I have each week to just take the edge off, that's that works for me. Got it. Um, I would have to say I had a lot of fun today getting to just know you a little bit more. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be here. Well, thank you for having me. This was really fun. We're going to have to now go out and get some wine. 100%. (laughs) 